Hello and welcome to the Bids, Tenders and Proposals podcast. Here you will get insights on how to write successful bids, how to do business with government, and things to avoid in your submissions. Here is your host Arvind Lau, who has evaluated thousands of tenders as part of his work and continues to provide technical advice and training to a number of government organizations and private sector on tendering, procurement, negotiations and contract management. So, let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by BidHQ.com.au. BidHQ is a platform where you can manage all your bids in one place and collaborate with your team to create the best bid responses. Sign up for a free trial at BidHQ.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Bid Standards and Proposals podcast. My name is Avin Lal and today I will be talking about the ways that companies can lose tenders. We have now established that tendering is a pretty expensive exercise for every company. And um, when I was actually looking through some notes on this and, and preparing for this podcast, I realized that perhaps I will cover this within two podcasts rather than one, because there are quite a few points that needs to be covered. So I've made this podcast into a two-part podcast to cover all the points that I needed to talk about. Part one is 10 reasons why your tender will not be successful. And in part two, I look at the next 10 reasons why your tender will not be successful. Well, some things I'll cover in here are pretty obvious. So uh, a lot of your companies you're listening probably will not do this. However, uh, there are some points here that you may not know or may be missing out your winning tenders on some of these by just not doing what you should be doing. So let's start. And number one, I would say, is the technical non-compliance with tender requirements. So if you look at the tender documents or the the request for tender or request for proposal documents, they normally have a number of requirements. And some of these requirements are put by the government organizations or a local government or state government is so that they can bring in some consistency in evaluation and making sure that everything is above board and it can be evaluated properly. You know, they the old saying goes that if you just ask for a response from someone and it's not structured then you will not be in a in a position to evaluate the the request for, uh, sorry the tender submissions from the tenderers in a in a very structured manner you may get uh, you know a situation where you'll be comparing apples with oranges so so that's just uh, just one of the reasons why they require some of these things so technical non compliance means that there are a number of forms that needs to be filled out there is confidentiality declaration that needs to be made there's conflict of interest declaration perhaps needs to be made. Um, there's a, a, that non-collusion declaration that you have to make to say that you haven't colluded with something like this. So that, um, you know, all these technical requirements, so if you don't meet some of these technical requirements, then, um, or you do, just don't fill out the form or you just disregard the forms and, and don't sign the forms, then it will be a non-conforming tender, which would make it very hard for you to win uh, win the tender. The other one is uncompetitive price. I mean, this is uh, this is quite obvious. An uncompetitive price means that if uh, you have um, put in a very high price and it's not competitive, then it it makes uh, it very difficult for you to to get the work or, or win that contract. 
Lack of relevant experience and expertise. Lack of relevant experience and expertise lets a lot of companies down, even if they are very competitive in their pricing. So one of the things that you need to be able to do is to demonstrate that you have got relevant experience and expertise. A lot of the times I've seen the new companies entering into the market and This is important for you to note that you may not have relevant experience and expertise, but you may be able to demonstrate using some of the other work that you have done to say that you are able to, or some new resources or new people that you have acquired in the company who have got a a lot of experience and you need to put that in the forefront of of your tender submission. So it's not necessarily having a lot of experience and expertise. I mean, expertise will be there, obviously, because you are tendering for that. So you'd believe that you'd have the expertise, but sometimes the relevant experience is not there. But in it is about your company demonstrating that you have got the relevant experience. So you may have just uh, got a new person on board uh, who is highly experienced in, in that area of work. So you can actually utilize their experience as the company's experience the next one is failure to respond to clarification and changes to the tender requirements any anybody putting the tenders together uh, would know that uh, during the tender period tender period means that when the tender is released to the public or request for tender sorry is released to the public and between the time it's released to the public and the time it closes that's called the tender period And during the tender period, uh, a number of things get asked by the tenderers. um, And as a result of that, the request for tender changes. So there are a number of things that as a part of clarification, uh, some things might change. There may be a clause in a, uh, a specification that will change. So failure for a tenderer to respond to clarifications or changes to the tender requirements would mean that you have not kept abreast with uh, all those changes and if a a government department that's requesting the tender from you have made some crucial changes or requirements or additional pricing that they want for something else that has come to light during the tender period but well before the tender closes mind you not not on the last day and have advised all the tenderers publicly within their tender forum or whatever else that they uh, the portal that they utilize then you must ensure that you have responded to those in a uh, in a in appropriate manner now the next one is the poor quality of tender submission. I mean, uh, this is this is um, not something that can be taken lightly. Um, you know, if you put a poor submission to uh, submission of your tender, then um, I, I don't think you should be expecting to win it. You know, you might fluke it, but uh, it is not a good practice to be pu- putting poor submission. So the quality of the submission must be very very high. Uh, the next one is unsatisfactory references or track record so um, a lot of the time government departments and councils and uh, and the like when they put out the request for tender they require the references and track records to be provided I mean I talked about a couple of points ago about experience and expertise but one of the key things is the references now what I found is sometimes when I'm evaluating tenders I find that some companies just 
purely ignore it. They don't put down the references because they probably feel that they don't have appropriate or relevant um, relevant person that they can give reference for. But whatever work you have done, you must provide the reference. You can provide, not must, but you can provide the reference for that, which means that when the government departments or, or councils, when the tender evaluators contact those referees, I mean, it's not necessarily that exact type of work that they have asked for is what will demonstrate your your ability to do the work. But in a similar work that you have done or a work that you have done that is completely not quite the, in the same same line as what uh, what they have asked for, which would mean that it will still show um, from the questions that they ask that you are a reliable contractor and you are, you are able to do the work because you have successfully completed some of the other work. So that, that's where you build credibility in providing uh, proper referees. Now, one of the things I think I might have talked about in one of my previous um, episodes of the podcast is providing genuine, credible referees. Credible referees are the referees that actually can vouch for your work and referees that are willing to actually provide that reference for you. Sometimes uh, what companies have done is they've given contact details of some referees and when you call them, they don't even know um, that they've been asked to provide the reference. And, you know, at least uh, what you should do is at least um, when you um, put down somebody as a referee, at least give them a courtesy call uh, before the tender is submitted that, hey, you may get a call from such and such for uh, for reference. So that is very important that the person who is going to be responding on your behalf and telling all the good things about you, they know that uh, they are the referee. Okay, um, the next one is... Uh, Conflict of interest and unethical behavior. Uh, conflict of interest can very quickly get you out of the running um, when you have tendered for something. Conflict of interest is like uh, if you have uh, worked on the project uh, from council, for example, and uh, then you go back and tender for it because you have got the inside knowledge, so uh, you probably have got a bit of conflict. Or your uh, your partner, your spouse, or you know your brother or close relative is um, calling for the request for tender and you happen to be tendering for it. Uh, you live in the same household, so there is a perception that there may be a conflict of interest in the sense that you may have some inside information on that request for tender. There are a number of uh, number of things that can trigger that uh, conflict of interest aspect. Of course, unethical behavior is is one that um, you know. Again, if you are approaching people to find out a bit more inside information and which is not publicly available through the request for tender, then that could be. Uh, construed as unethical behavior and you could quite easily be sidelined by council or by the government department. Um, The next one is uh, late submission of tender. I think we've talked about this thing in the past episodes and I think everybody would understand that. Let's not harp on it. Just get the tenders in on time. One of the things that you do need to consider is the, the time zones if you are in different time zones make sure that uh, the tenders are in in the correct time zone inadequate bonds or insurance 
often the large requests for tender or large contracts that councils tender for or government departments tender for uh, have got a uh, fairly significant uh, insurance requirements uh, there is perhaps a, a bond or security deposit that they seek and if you're not able to meet those requirements uh, particularly of insurance um, workers compensation work um, you know, public liability or professional indemnity then um, then you're likely to be sidelined or not meet the requirement of uh, of evaluation and you're probably not going to win that um, tender uh, the other one is um poor understanding of project scope and requirement now uh, this this is a this is a difficult one to explain because everybody's perception when they look at a request for tender document is yes we can do it we understand what needs to be done and you don't perhaps read everything and uh, you realize that you are able to do that yes and you draft up your proposal based on what your understanding is but you happen to have a poor understanding of what is required i have looked at quite a few requests for tender documents and i've been part of developing a, a number of requests for tender documents mainly the very large ones of multi-million dollar ones which and i have to say that um, sometimes uh, when the government departments or councils when they put out requests for tender the request for tender is sometimes not as clear as you you think that they should be and uh, and i can say that you know sometimes when i have written something i mean it's very clear in my mind what i'm seeking uh, for on behalf of council or on behalf of a government department but not until a question gets asked by uh, a potential tenderer uh, that you realize that perhaps you have not made it very clear so don't take it that councils or government department will always put out a request for tender document that is very very clear and you have understood everything if there is a slight doubt on something do ask the question and find out and clarify uh, to see if you and un- your understanding of the proposal of sorry of the work of the scope of the work is the same as what Uh, the government department is requesting through the request for tender so let's just recap those 10 points that i i covered in this part of the podcast number 1 is the technical non compliance with the tender requirements number 2 is uncompetitive pricing number 3 is lack of relevant experience and expertise number 4 is failure to respond to clarification or changes to tender requirements Number 5 is poor quality of tender submission. Number 6 is unsatisfactory references or track record. Number 7 is conflict of interest or unethical behavior. Number 8 is late submission of tender. Number 9 is inadequate security bonds and or insurances. And number 10 is poor understanding of the project scope and requirements. So that's part 1 of the podcast uh that covers the 10 points that I've talked about on the reasons why you could lose the the tender and not win the contract should I say and in the second part we will talk about the next 10 points as to why you could lose the tender or you could not win the bid until next time 
Good luck with your bitch tenders and proposals. Remember, you can get more information about this episode of the podcast and other episodes of our podcast at bitsmart.com.au.